Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of The Five Things. We have a very, very special Five Things episode this week. We are going to be talking about experiential. Oh boy, get ready. Joining me today, I have Marie Kelly, the SVP of Experiential at Gray. Hi, Marie. Hi, Kenny. And we have Kirsten Schubert, Director of PR. This is not her first rodeo here (laughs) at The Five Things. She has been here before. Happy to be back. Cool. And what we're going to be talking about today is how experiential uh, activations and moments can help brands uh, reach their consumers, but given the new production realities that we are all dealing with, what are some hybrid approaches we can take to help make a difference for brands and consumers? So this is what we're going to be talking about today. First, how ballet has leapt into the digital world, much like how I would leap into the digital world, and that'll be Kirsten. How brands are getting creative with virtual premieres, and you'll get to hear from me. Then we'll talk a bit about how the Danish Super League brought fans to the stadium using Zoom. Marie will tell us a bit about that. It is June, so we'll talk a bit about how brands have celebrated Pride digitally. And then we will close out with Marie telling us a bit about what CES is going to do in 2021 uh, with their new hybrid show. And then we'll all close out and enjoy the rest of our weeks. So with that said, Kirsten, tell us a little bit about the ballet. Thanks, Kenny. Uh, Fun fact, I'm a big fan of ballet and the arts in general. I actually took some classes at Alvin Ailey Um, And I love how they've pivoted during the pandemic. Right now, virtual fundraising and galas have been in the spotlight during the pandemic, and the organizations who are relying on fundraising are continuing to push and explore different models to drive um, these fundraising efforts during the pandemic. A great example of this would be how Alvin Ailey has pivoted um, and taken a leap into the digital world during this year's spring benefit. So not only is it online, but the benefit show will be live for a week versus how these are typically set up as a one night event that you attend in real life. So this is giving fans and donors a longer window to participate and watch the show. Typically spring gals for arts organizations are huge events and unequivocally their biggest night of the year. Tickets are prohibitively expensive and it's a big party to see and be seen. It's a networking opportunity for the donors that have enough cash to show up. And it's also a chance for them to meet and speak with the dancers and choreographers after the show. What's great about this new approach is that it's giving fans the opportunity to tune in on their own schedule and the ability to donate based on what they can afford, since most people cannot afford to go to these galas. Not only were they using this gala as an opportunity to raise funds for themselves, there was also the possibility for donors to donate to the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a nonprofit that provides legal representation to the wrongly convicted and disadvantaged. So they didn't just use this as an opportunity to fundraise for themselves. They also were highlighting organizations that are important to them as a company. What I love most about this is how Alvin Ailey completely changed their fundraising model and the model of most other arts organizations, and they use this to try something new. 
The fact is the old model isn't a possibility right now. So this is a great time for arts organizations to try something that they've never done before. In general, arts disciplines and the museums have been really slow to go digital. And Alvin Ailey was one of the first to go digital and offer this opportunity to fans. What are some of the key lessons? What are we going to learn here? What are our marketers going to take away? So you're seeing a different focus in media coverage for these events. So from my perspective, the headlines and the focus are completely different than what they would typically be. Usually the main draw outside of donations is who was there, what were they wearing, who were they photographed with, and the message of what the event is actually about, which is how much money was fundraised and what the performance was like is lost. Right now, headlines are focused on what the event is actually about, a celebration of dance and the democratization of this event with that $0 entry fee. And Alvin Ailey is really positioning themselves as a leader in this art space. I always love celebrating dance, so I will find a way to be a part of this. <laughs> Marie, any thoughts on this one? I mean, I think, you know, we all are continuing to monitor what um, different brands are doing, but also what different cultural institutions are doing. So, you know, I think that what we're finding is at times there's some oversaturation of some of the tactics that are being used. And the reason that I think, you know, this is a, a nice, interesting one for us is it's, um, you know, outside of the brand space, definitely into the cultural category. And, you know, as Kirsten said, this isn't a, you know, 30, 45 minute, 60 minute um, experience. It's something that, you know, wider consumers outside of the individuals that might be more philanthropically inclined to the arts uh, are now having an opportunity to view at their leisure. So there's still kind of that premier moment of, you know, this kind of announcement and um, exclusive share out that can happen. Um, but as Kirsten said, you know, kind of a wider, wider reach with a longer tail behind it. Excellent. Moving on to the second thing we have, how brands are getting creative with virtual premieres. So one of the big, the big, big next waves that we're going to be seeing uh, in industry programming is how are studios and, and content hubs going to change the way uh, that premieres happen. So gone are the old days of the 6,000 person public premieres in Times Square at Grauman's, you know, we're going to be dealing with the fact that COVID has changed this. So uh, networks, talent, audiences, they're finding some new ways uh, to get connected. Uh, it's a pretty interesting thing we're seeing here. You know, I think we, the, in the beginning of the COVID experience, we had a lot of uh, sort of live concerts. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing these things where everyone's going to be in their home and we're going to mash it up and we're going to use uh, Zoom. But now they are just sort of, we're seeing brands and studios actually extend the way that these premieres are happening by rolling content out over time. Um, it's a pretty interesting thing. Marie, what do you think about this? How are brands going to get creative with virtual premieres? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, look, this one's very close to home. I actually worked with television clients for many, many years, actually doing these public premieres and private premieres with the talent and, you know, cast and crew, whether that was kickoff or closing parties. So it's an incredibly important um, business function for, you know, their advertisers, as well as the folks involved with the production of the show and getting, if it's a new show or, you know, a um, kind of cult following behind the show. I'm um, getting them excited about the new season. So not wanting to lose that integrity 
you know, there's a lot of things that um, the, the tech partners as well as the entertainment partners are playing with from thinking about the in-home theater experience, not just, you know, your AV equipment, but kind of the, the 360 environment in which you are living in your home and the other sensorial elements that can be a part of that experience to make you feel closer to the show and the talent. Um, you know, a lot of the tactics that are being used um, even across different uh, categories are, you know, things like you know, little um, boxes and kits and kind of in-home, um, you know, whether that's food and beverage or other elements to have as kind of unboxing moments throughout the show. Um, and then, you know, with that, there's um, a lot of other ways to engage the talent. So are they somehow jumping in at a virtual moment during the premiere um, to kind of show either in character, out of character, their enthusiasm for that as well? So, you know, definitely a business function, but also something that I think from an entertainment perspective is is fun and can add some levity and delight during this time and not just kind of a functional approach as well. Very cool. I particularly liked when the Backstreet Boys were able to premiere music together in this age of COVID. I know you 100%. all did too, right? <laughs> nice to throw back in. <laughs> all right. Moving on to our third thing. We have the Danish Super League, bringing fans to the stadium using Zoom. Marie, tell us about the Danish Super League. <laughs> yeah, so look, I mean, I am not a sports gal. However, uh, this is an entire uh, industry that has been greatly affected. You know, all the major leagues globally um, kind of pulling their talent from, not, not their talent, their players um, from practices and games and pulling fans from stadiums. Um, and now looking to, you know, reintroduce the players, but in a safe space without the fans um, and streaming that so that people can still view. I, I really liked this example. It was actually um, a woman that I know kind of in the industry shared this with me. And I think that it's relevant for a lot of the other things, even, you know, thinking about the ballet that Kirsten talked about earlier. There's a very symbiotic relationship between the player or the performer with the fans and their audience. So, you know, if in a one-way dynamic of great, the players are on the field, we're streaming that out and you can tune in and watch, um, that's perhaps good for the people at home, but it loses that level of energy for the players on the field to feel connected to the, to the fans and feeling the energy, whether it's good or bad moments um, throughout, throughout the game. And so, you know, this piece here um, was actually covered first kind of more locally in the market and then has stretched across different trade publications um, and ESPN kind of picking up what they've done here. So essentially, you know, the fans were at home, um, you know, dialed into their Zoom. And then the team leveraged um, the existing real estate within the stadium, which were the IMAG screens to kind of plug in that feed of the fans. So whether that's cheering or a couple kissing or whatnot at, a, at an exciting moment, it gave the players directly on the field the moment to feel like they're seeing kind of their fans react. Um, now this has already happened. Um, what's interesting is there are some other partners and I, I won't disclose all the exciting things they're working on, but there's some partners that we've been talking to that are taking this and actually kind of further expanding on uh, the production capabilities, but also kind of the sophistication from, you know, tracking social media and what's the emotive, um, you know, sentiment that's happening across the communication that you're seeing with trending um, to then plug into things like audio sounds on the field for the players, you know, can that trigger something? So. We're seeing this as an execution to kind of slot in quickly, the same way that we saw something like SNL, a little bit more homegrown at first, continue to get more polished over time. Um, I think we're going to see something similar here. And again, this is not just for sports. This is for, you know, musicians, dancers, theater, you know, if the, perhaps if the show is continuing, but the, you know, the, the fans can't be in the seats, 
um, how can we bring that connection even closer? The virtual kiss cam. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Had took on a whole new meeting. All right. Well, you know, it's pretty exciting to hear that this is happening. It's as North American sports start to come back, it'll be fascinating to see how they bring the fan closer to the experience. Will they be pumping in crowd noise? Will they be allowing fans to contribute or submit to the experience? Um, I think once fans get over the fact that the leagues are back, they will be pining for the experience to be more immersive. Um, and, and that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing as a sports fan, but also as a music fan. How is how is the concert experience going to evolve to allow you to really feel the energy of being there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of the live experience is often it's not only, you know, what's happening there and kind of the we talk about stunt to content. Um, you know, it's also really the emotive connection that people are having. You know, the live space is so much of that human connection. And so if we're doing that in a in a remote fashion, how can we still bring that emotion through? So completely agree. Kirsten, do you think from a PR perspective that the first brands to jump in on this in North America are going to get the 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 bump? Are they going to get to be able to ride that wave? Or do you think it's something that's going to be standardized by the time they're all back? First, first come makes the biggest noise always. That said, you know, a month from now, we could be talking about how another sports league was able to take this concept and, you know, plus it up even more and make it even more interactive. I think it's really sky's the limit here. It just depends on how much these leagues want to invest in this technology and make view this either as a temporary solution or something that might become more permanent. And do you think that brands, are are thinking now about sort of how they can cut back in and be sponsors again. You know, brand sponsorships are such a huge part of the stadium experience. How do they get involved in something like this? Yeah, I think that'll be really, really interesting to see. I mean, I, I think, you know, the brands that are being brave with their marketing dollars right now are looking for new and interesting ways to spend their money since a lot of the traditional channels right now really just aren't going to work for them given given COVID and, and everything, um, I think you could see some really interesting uh, PR headlines if brands are willing to get creative and really take a risk with their money. Moving on to our fourth thing, brands celebrating Pride digitally. It is June. It is Pride. It is exciting. Uh, you know, but this Pride is different. Uh, first, the pandemic came through. Then, um, as we've talked about on this podcast, uh, we are dealing with racial injustice in uh, in our society and in our culture. And uh, there has been an outpouring of support for the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, all of this is, is sh shining a brighter spotlight on uh, what is happening you know, for Pride this month. Um, you know, the Pride movement and, and the Black Lives Matter movement have been intrinsically linked with one another uh, for decades. So how are brands adapting and, and trying to find ways to still continue to celebrate pride, given everything that is going on uh, in, in culture and society right now? And what we're seeing is, is pretty extraordinary, from virtual parades to uh, multi-camera uh, concerts to New Year's Eve-like celebrations with roving reporters. Uh, it is going to be 
fabulous and epic and awesome. Uh, I know personally here at Gray, we are working on a program with Procter & Gamble and iHeartRadio that's called Can't Cancel Pride. And there's going to be a live event on June 25th with Katy Perry and Adam Lambert, which is going to be really exciting. Uh, we are seeing, you know, part of what makes Pride so special is what happens in cities and localities. And we are seeing a lot of virtual experiences pop up uh, to celebrate it at the local level. Uh, I think the virtual parade is something we are seeing everywhere, which is a really cool, fun concept. But overall, uh, in the vein of what uh, P&G and iHeart are saying, you can't cancel Pride this year. Uh, it, it, COVID can't stop it. Uh, there's going to be this celebration uh, happening. So pretty exciting stuff. Marie, Kirsten, any thoughts on brands celebrating Pride digitally? Yeah, I'm happy to chime in there. So, I mean, I think I'm going to take what is uh, a bit more of an operational approach to, to this conversation, because I think one of the things that will be interesting is seeing there's going to be a different response that's going to happen regionally within the U.S., but also globally for that matter. So the way that people can assemble, you know, safely, again, whether that's, you know, from their home or out in the world, but in smaller fashions, um, you know, pockets of groups that they've been safely quarantining with and whatnot, um, I think it's going to we're going to see a bit of a different expression across the different regions as to how people are you know, celebrating this moment and taking action during this moment, um, which I think is going to present some <laughs> some interesting balance between making sure that everyone still feels like they're equally contributing and to the level that they want to, um, which I think is going to just present some new and different types of content than we're used to seeing in the past. And I think, you know, the the ongoing activity around is making sure that we're safely assembling as well. You know, we've all been so conservative and so. Um, you know, strategic about kind of our own health and safety during these times. So still keeping the energy behind the passion for some of these topics, whether that's, you know, in this case, um, you know, pride, um, but also things that are going on from a from a race and civil perspective as well, making sure that we're showing up, but showing up safely and um, passionately. What what I love about this, I don't know if um, if everybody else is feeling the way I am giving getting a little bit of Zoom fatigue at this point. Um, Pride is all about community. It's all about spending time with people in your community and the, and your allies. Um, Pride needs to go online. With it, we we couldn't. To your point, you just can't cancel Pride. And I think that this is this is something that people are going to use to get back together. And I think Zoom fatigue just goes out the window. Absolutely, I agree with that. Now, celebrate Pride. We'll be there celebrating with you. Very exciting stuff. Last, but certainly not least, the evolution of the boondoggle. Marie, what is going to be happening for CES 2021? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so again, we're all kind of watching what's happening in the within the category. And so, you know, first, um, everything was getting pulled. You know, we were supposed to be on the ground at NCAA Final Four with the client activation back in March. And Unfortunately, when COVID hit, everything kind of went dark and, you know, events and programs started either fully canceling or sliding out their dates and kind of further pushing their dates over time as they've been watching the landscape. And what we're seeing now is that some big ones are starting to come back on online um, or in this case, you know, live for that matter. So CES, I guess it was about a week or two ago, has come out and said that they they intend to move forward with the show in January. Um, you know, they Fortunately, have been over the last couple of years um, leaning into the hybrid approach of having, you know, live streaming and virtual experiences that people can be participating in 
um, remotely because exactly as you mentioned, there's kind of been a professional shift in, in some people feeling it's a boondoggle. Um, so, you know, the media outlets and things that may have in the past sent more people on site to, to Vegas maybe have been taking more conservative measures and who was going on the ground. Um, so they are fortunately already have some of this approach in place. Um, they're going to be much more intentional about that um, and continuing to, to in, include those pieces as they move into their planning for this year. Um, also, you know, CES is the organizer, but then each one of the brands and how they show up and how they operate on site um, also needs to be a consideration. So, you know, let's say that there's a huge footprint, whether it's one of the big, big tech companies. Um, some of the things that are being talked about um, is essentially time stamping. So you're signing up for a time slot to go into the booth so that there's less people so we can manage, again, kind of that safe assembly within that experience. Um, the other thing that we're all talking about, you know, as a community of professionals in this field is, OK, great, we've got them to the show. We've got them in the booth. You know, what are we doing with them when they're in there to continue to be safe? Um, so there's a lot of talk around kind of the use of creative technology, um, things that are gesture responsive, motion based. Um, so, of course, at a show like CES, we're already there to showcase technology. Um, but finding ways that as we have consumer or in this case, you know, um, more industry folk interaction. Um, ways that we can be doing that where they're still sampling and trialing the technology, but doing so in a minimal contact way. Um, so there's a couple layers of consideration here. You know, there's also mixed feelings about if this is the right choice. You know, January, while it might seem a little far, actually is not that far away. Um, and there's concern and speculation as to what the winter months will look like for us. And CES is a big show that has people that travel in from all over the country and, and sometimes the world. Um, so the consideration of different, um, you know, attendees from various markets and how the city, um, in, you know, and how Vegas kind of manages that from a tourism perspective within the hotel properties, um, there's definitely a lot to be considered here. So I think what we're seeing and the reason this is, is headlines is because this is one of the bigger shows. You know, it's over 100,000 people that usually come to this. It won't be that many this year, partly because they're going to control it that way. But also, you know, we, we expect that there's going to be some reluctance. You know, some people are going to go head, heads down into this type of uh, return to the world and other people are going to be a bit more reluctant. So we're all making the new rules together at this point. And well, Marie, hopefully I can. Oh, Kirsten, I was going to make a joke and you were going to add something substantive. So why don't you jump on in? <laughs> well, I, I had a quick question for Marie as the expert in this space. I mean, in everything that I've been reading. Um, when it comes to any live events, of course, people are talking, as you were mentioning, about the health and safety aspect of that. Knowing that CES is so focused on technology, do you think that there's going to be um, a good opportunity for them to really show the intersection of health and safety and technology, um, you know, as an organization, um, if this does go live January 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, so, you know, as an organizing committee, I think there will definitely be a level of accountability um, to the measures they put in place, but also to your point, kind of the the production quality of, of how premium and how sophisticated and polished um, of an approach they, they end up leveraging. So yes, I agree that that will certainly be um, a consideration. What I also think will be interesting is you know, between now and then, what will we see from brands that are, you know, new products, new innovation that are coming out during this time um, to manage, you know, sanitation assembly? So I, I don't have an answer to that piece. Um, you know, none of the brands, because these are often major players, are going to, you know, 
put something on the market or show something at CES before it's ready to be debuted. But I imagine that's going to be a big topic, Um, even if it's on, you know, the keynote stages. Maybe it's not a product on the show floor, but it's certainly going to be a topic that's being addressed both on the you know, CES side, but also on the brand side. Kenny, what was the joke? I was going to ask how we were going to recreate the iHeart party that I could never get into. Mm. Um, but it's okay. Well, we'll you're just working have with to them ho- on P&G, so I'm sure you've got an invite this year. That, oh, that's right. Okay. I'll just make sure that there's some sort of virtual happy hour happening. You know, as someone who has attended CES a few times, uh, it, it's partially about the show, but it's also about the heat and the experience and the networking. So it'll be uh, a very curious thing to see how they bring some of that networking prowess back to the table. Uh, But overall, very, very interesting to see where CES heads. Well, that is this week's five things. Talking a bit about experiential, go to the ballet, attend CES digitally, attend a virtual pride parade, watch the Danish Super League, and when all else fails, attend a movie premiere. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Marie, Kirsten, great as usual. And we look forward to seeing everyone here next week. Thanks. Thanks so much, Kenny. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.